This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in a series right now titled The Biblical Protocols of Prayer. And uh, been using a resource and uh, as part of what I'm sharing with you, and we're going to uh, quote from that resource again tonight. Our entrance into God's presence must be preceded by examination and cleansing. When we looked recently at the reverence protocol, that probably aspect of praying to your mind. We don't just charge into God's presence. We've got to make sure that we are prepared for his presence, that we're right with him. And in fact, when, when we go into his presence, we have to come on his terms, making sure that, that uh, we're right with him. But also we're to pray in Jesus' name. The scripture also uh, teaches us that. And again, praying in Jesus' name reminds us who our intercessor is. We go to the Father through the Son. But praying in Jesus' name also is kind of a check for us. The protocol we're going to look at tonight goes right along with the reverence protocol because we need to be clean when we go to the Father. Habakkuk 1.13 says, Thou art of pure eyes then to behold evil and cannot, uh, canst not look on iniquity. Blackness not just cover the area around Jerusalem, but the scripture says it covered the earth. Why did that happen? Because the Father cannot look on sin. He turned away from the Son. King David wrote in Psalm 24, 3 and 4, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? You just came from his holy place. Who's able to do that? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, and hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Even the end of that verse made to God. But it still stands, it's better not to vow than to vow and to break it. All right? Swearing deceitfully is I've said things to God that I'm not following through on. I can't come into his presence unless that is made right. Clean hands refers to innocent actions that are the result of a pure heart. Only those who are clean inside and outside can approach God's throne in prayer. And so in Psalm 51 and verse 6, David confesses that his fall into moral failure was due in part to his lack of internal honesty or cleansing. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. So inward honesty would have kept David from his sin, and it was the sure way back to be cleansed from it. You know, you and I do not commit sins unless first we're dishonest here. We convince ourselves of a lie. God's not looking. It won't matter. It, does, it won't change anything. No, that's dishonest. If David had just been honest on the inward parts, that woman is not my wife. This is great sin against God. 
I have no business staying on this rooftop. A lot of honest things could have been said that would have driven him away from the temptation. Instead, he stayed. He listened to lies and lied to himself. So inner honesty is part of this cleansing. And when we come to the Lord, we have to be honest about where we are in relation to the Father. And so prayer must always be preceded by the cleansing protocol. This is the proper and productive way to approach the Lord in prayer. So tonight, let's look at the cleansing protocol. Again, I wish we had a lot of time just to carefully, slowly move through this and even have interaction. Maybe even take some time as we go through this to just pause and talk to the Lord privately ourselves. Time does not allow that, but I'm trusting the Spirit of God to work in our hearts this evening. The cleansing protocol begins with a recognition of the sufficiency of Christ's blood. The sufficiency of Christ's blood. Remember the old song, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. As a child, I remember there is power, power, power in the blood. Those songs ring as true today as they've ever been. It's all based on 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so we're admonished then two verses later, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness on the basis of what? The sufficiency of Christ's blood. Now any farm boy can tell you putting up hay in the summertime is hot, dirty business. All right. Some of us have been there. I remember hours in the hot sun and just putting on what felt like layer after layer of whatever was floating around in that hay mile were coming off that hay rack. Some of you have been there. All right. Sweat mixed with chaff and dirt, I remember as being uncomfortable and even irritating. I won't go into a lot of detail, but I also remember blowing that stuff out of my nose for the next two weeks. Okay, but anyway, it, it was just nasty for, for a farm boy who was used to that, okay? Trying to brush it off never really worked. You know where I'm going with the illustration, right? But nothing could compare with how it felt to have a clean, hot shower. Just leaving that all behind. It was good. One of the amazing things about my salvation is also how it feels as a Christian to come to God with a sinful heart, truly confess sin, 1 John 1, 9, and leave His presence knowing and feeling clean. It's, it's one of the miracles of our salvation. I can come with a heavy heart, knowing I'm not right with God. I can get on my face before the Lord, confess, truly confess, with my heart, turn from, and get up off my knees and have peace again here. Stories told one day in London, England, a businessman was working in his shop. 
And he watched his pastor, C.H. Spurgeon, cross the street. And in those streets, you've got carriages and, and wagons going back and forth. And to his surprising concern, Spurgeon stopped right in the middle of that busy street, took off his hat, looked up to heaven, put his head down, and with a smile, put his hat back on and kept going. Well, all week long, that, that made that businessman uh, who attended the, the London Tabernacle, he wondered, what's going on with my pastor? And so that next Lord's Day, he went to Charles Spurgeon, and he said, Pastor, on this street, you know where my shop is. I saw you cross. What were you doing in the middle of the street? And he said, I got halfway across the street, and the Spirit of God reminded me there was something between my soul and the Savior. He said, I had to get it right. So I stopped there, looked to heaven, confessed it to the Lord. All was right, and I went on. That's the reality of our existence. By the way, you do realize that staying away from sin and confessing sin, it is equally the will of the Father concerning you. It is. Judicially, our sins are gone because of Jesus' blood shed for us at Calvary, but my fellowship with God is only maintained by fresh cleansings. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Scripture says, also continues to cleanse us from sin. And so, to be clean, I must come clean about my sin. Let that sink in. I can't pretend, wish I was clean. No, to be clean, I must come clean. What does that look like? Well, to confess means to agree with God the same and say, I'm sorry, to agree with God and say the same thing about my sin as he does. You know what God says. When it comes to sin, here's what he says about the sin. When I confess, I say the same thing. Lord, here's what I've done, and here is your assessment about that sin. I agree with you against myself, Lord. And Lord, help me not to repeat that sin again. That's genuine if we meet it in our hearts. We take the witness stand against our hearts and actions and agree with the verdict of the righteous judge. Cleansing happens as we bring our darkness into God's light. No hiding, no self-justification, no excuses, no negotiating the terms of what might happen next. I think it's so interesting that when David confessed his sin, he didn't say, Lord, will you go easy on me? He was just thankful to be clean and to be right, and he could trust God with whatever followed. The judge stands ready to cleanse and forgive, but he requires brutal honesty and a sincere heart to turn from the sin. This is where I'd really like to just pause and let's just have a family chat. How do you really view sin? We're blessed because we have the Holy Spirit of God. He is the spirit of truth, right? He's given us his truth. 
He leads us into the truth, but he also speaks the truth about me. I try before I have my devotions each morning, I try to take some time just to be quiet in the presence of God. Or maybe repeat those passages that we're familiar with. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then just be still. Even as we're talking about it, it can make us a little uncomfortable, right? But it's good. Lord, where have you touched my heart about some matter of obedience? Something that I'm tolerating. Some sin of commission or some sin of omission. And Lord, you know for this period of time, perhaps for years, I've dug in. I'm really uncomfortable with yielding my will to your will. You know what that is? It's sin. What happened when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up? Woe is me. Now here's the prophet. Here's one of the spiritual leaders in Israel. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I also dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But he had to spend time with the Lord seeing him high and lifted up to see himself the way he should be. It's not a deep secret why the church in America isn't seeing revival in many corners. It's, it all comes down to our attitude about our own sin. We're afraid of what people are going to think of us or think of our family or whatever. And we just need to be brutally honest. Who are we kidding? We're not kidding God. And oh, by the way, He's dealing with us because that's all standing in the way of fruitfulness and blessing. All right, so the cleansing protocol recognizes the sufficiency of Christ's blood. He can cleanse us from any of that. It also understands a second important truth, though, about cleansing from sin. I'm not saying any of these things tonight to discourage us, but here's the other impor another important truth when it comes to the cleansing protocol. The difference between temptation and sin. I've known some discouraged Christians who think every time they are tempted, they have sinned. That will discourage you. Because you have flesh and so do I. And our mind wants to run. And our eyes want to wander. Temptation is not sin. But we have to understand the difference. It's easy to think, after all, isn't the thought of sin the same as committing the sin? the old nature. You're in the book of Romans. Go to chapter 6. And I really hope that this, this will encourage your heart. All right? Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 6. 
Know this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Understand in verse 6, the word crucifixion, the reason that Paul uses that word is because a death has taken place. Not a dying process, but a death. Now, if there's any wondering about that, go down to verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be what? Dead. Dead indeed. That's really dead. All right? Dead in, uh, indeed unto what? Sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is interesting. Verse 6, verse 11 assures me that I am dead unto sin. Now what does that mean? My old man, my old nature was put to death when I trusted Christ for salvation. That is great news. That's why Paul wrote to the Galatians and said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ. Here's my life. Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in, this flesh, I live through faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So again, he's reminding them, the old man, the old nature, it died. It got put to death. By the way, your baptism pictured that. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. That's the reality. Yet chapter 6 and 7 make a distinction between the flesh and the old man. So go over to chapter 7 now. And drop down to the end of the chapter, verse 18. Paul helps us. For I know that in me that is in my, what? My flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. That's a reference to the new nature, the indwelling spirit of Christ. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, what I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Okay, that's the potential for sin. I am still a sinner. Why? Because when I got saved, I got a new nature. The old nature was put to death, but I didn't get new flesh. I can't wait till I have a glorified body and new flesh. But not right now. And so verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, the new, new man, new nature. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. There's a reference to illumination. When I get a when I get the new nature, the Lord turns the light on. Amen? I see things differently. I've been illuminated by the Spirit of Christ. And so a law in my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, and with the flesh the law of sin. By the way, wait, these references, in my mind, in my mind, in my mind. Paul will develop that more to the Colossians, to the Ephesians, when he, and to the Romans later, chapter 12, when he talks about having a renewed mind. Giving my fleshly thoughts over to God's spiritual thoughts, his word. All right, so let's back up and take another look at this. Note the words flesh, verse 18, members, verse 23, body, verse 24. It's all the same. Flesh again in verse 25. The law my body wants to serve is sin. And by the way, what temptation is, is my flesh, now fallen, natural desires, God-given desires, but it wants too much of that. No one should ever get one piece of cake, amen? It's just, doesn't matter if Ron Reed made it or not. It's not big enough. You need another one. That's my flesh. Sleep. All of us, our body clocks tell us how much sleep we need. But when that alarm goes off, are you convinced? I'm not. I want more. And we can go on and on. That's my flesh. Okay. To will to do right is present with me, verse 18, because I have the indwelling Christ. And with my mind I respond uh, to listen to the inner man. Our flesh is still sinful, though, and it doesn't, but it doesn't mean we are sinning. I'm appalled at how sinful my flesh is. Are you? I can be driving down the road and some thought will come into my mind and I'm like, ah, where'd that come from? That was rotten. Or have you ever had one of those dreams where you wake up and it's like, oh, Lord, thank you, that wasn't real. Why? Uh, this flesh. But I need to be careful with what my flesh is doing, that I don't enter into the temptation. And that brings us to the second point, temptation versus entering into temptation. So listen to what our Lord taught, Matthew's Gospel, 26, verse 41. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but, here we go again, the flesh is, it's weak. So be careful, watch and pray so you don't enter into the temptation. There will be many doors to temptation that a watchful praying Christian will recognize. Christian can see the door, but walking through that door is two different things. Note the important distinction Jesus made in his warning in Matthew 5, 28. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman, then he makes this qualifying statement, to lust after her hath committed adultery in his heart already. Well, isn't just the thought, isn't that sin? If I enter into the temptation, if I cross and go into that door and I lust or I do whatever I've been tempted, now it's sin. 
So this helps to understand David's sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11. The initial look wasn't sin. Okay? But his ongoing assessment in verse 2 and then entering into the temptation, that was sin. David committed his sin before he ever got her into the palace. In the same way, Adam's temptation in the garden wasn't sin any more than the fact that the second Adam, Jesus, was tempted in all points as we are. Yet what's the scripture say? Yet without, yet without sin. The difference is that the first Adam entered into the temptation and disobeyed God's command. Jesus, though tempted, never violated the will of his father. Right? All right. So based on these truths, Harold Vaughn makes an important point, and I've given it to you. Quote, we should never confess our inclinations or temptations to sin. Confession is only necessary when we have yielded to enticement. Now, this is frustrating. I don't like the fact that my flesh is tempted. I, I, can, I can be having a great day and walking with the Lord, and then some temptation is like, ah, leave me alone. Ah, or... I'm having a pretty good day. Well, maybe this won't be. It's my flesh. It's my flesh. A father was painting in his backyard and the phone rang in the house. He went in, answered it, and returned to the backyard to find his five-year-old daughter standing over the paint can. What's she thinking? This would be really fun. He left the back porch, and their eyes met, and the father simply raised an eyebrow. And the daughter came running, hugged his leg, and ran off in another direction to play. I love that illustration. She looked. She was tempted. Did she do anything wrong? No, she looked to the father and got all the information she needed, ran to dad, and ran to play. It's all good. That's what we should do. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Not just the temptation, the archenemy will flee. What a promise. So the cleansing protocol recognizes the sufficiency of Christ's blood, distinguishes between temptation and sin, and then stay with me. Uh, we're just about done. Finally, the cleansing protocol rejoices in the reality of forgiveness. Now please listen. We should thank our Lord for the reality we are forgiven of confessed sin and immediately move into the reverence and praise protocols. We should do this regardless of how we feel since we are forgiven whether we feel like it or not. We don't have to feel grateful to be grateful. 
The feelings of the flesh will never recognize the realities of faith. And you, I love what Jim Berg says. You need to be aware, not of your feelings. That's easy. Be aware of your thoughts. I can feel like a failure and be right with God. Amen? And just rejoice in His forgiveness. Rejoice in His faithfulness. And keep moving on. I think this is included in that admonition to us. Don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season you'll reap if you faint not. Keep going even if you don't feel like it. The reality of forgiveness is also the pathway back to recovery. Listen to what the wise man said in, Roman, or in Proverbs 28, verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. When we conceal sin, we live in defeat. All the while being reminded from the Holy Spirit, we could have deliverance. Proverbs 28, 13 then contains three vital principles for recovery from sin. You may even want to write these in the front of your Bible. When you're struggling or if you've failed, write these in there. I think they'll be a quick but very helpful reminder to you. Proverbs 28, 13, here they are. Admit it. Quit it. <laughs> through the Spirit's word and power and then forget it. Admit it, quit it, forget it. Forgetting those things which are behind. So the cleansing protocol should always be considered before our praying, but it is not included in the Lord's model prayer, Matthew 6, for a reason. Consistent prayer keeps us from always having to use it, the cleansing protocol. If you walk in the Spirit, you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Matthew 6, Jesus is not assuming when you come to me to pray that you always have something to confess. Now, we ought to pause. We ought to examine. But if I'm walking in the Spirit, I don't have anything to confess. That pleases the Lord. All right? So if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If we submit to God and resist the devil, he'll flee. 2 Peter 3.14 if we are diligent to walk with the Lord, we will, here's what Peter says, be found of him in peace. What takes away peace? Sin. Be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. The power of sin in us finds its remedy in God's provision of never-ending grace. So let's reflect tonight. My admission to you would be this. Stop asking God to help you do better next time if you need to ask forgiveness for the last time. Keep short accounts with God. Just stay right. Do you have any unconfessed sin? If you do, and I, again, I love what Vaughn says, be judgment day honest about it. You know, at our accounting before the Lord, you're going to be honest and so will I. This side of heaven, be judgment day honest about it. And then after confession, begin thanking God for His mercy and for, for
forgiveness. Admit it. Quit it. Forget it. And thank the Lord for his powerful cleansing blood. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have been delivered from the penalty and the power of sin. We long for the day very soon when we're delivered from the very presence of sin. But Lord, we can live victorious now. Help us, though, to exercise this cleansing protocol. Your blood will continue to cleanse us. As judicially, we have been cleansed and we stand righteous before the Father. Thank you for your word. What's to love you and to walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.